Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Now we're taking a shot up in the tailgate yep. lot yep. with a stadium view. Woo! What a great spot. Damn it, I've been waiting all week. Counting down the days till I'm back in my seat. Till I'm back in my seat. Back on the boulevard, Victory Monday, May 1st. As always, here to prove to you, there is no such thing as football season. We are presented by the Believe Network. Eight began, just two remain, and now 12 days between the XFL Division Championships and the title game in San Antonio. Two very different paths for the Arlington Renegades and the D.C. Defenders when it comes to their road to the Alamo Dome on May 13th. But what do we know about this weekend? Before we look too far ahead to the title game, did you guys have fun this weekend? Playoff football. Talk about that atmosphere in Audi Field, how electric that was. It had that playoff feel to it. And if you're not following us along on Twitter, you should be, because we try to get as much coverage of the atmosphere as we can from field level. And boy. Audi Field was rocking on Sunday. And in that crowd was one sad Seattle fan, the producer and the owner of the humble abode we call Studio Z, Chris Zook. Zook, this is what I have to say. I felt bad week one. We had a toilet plunger on your head. Fast forward to week eight. We put you in a Bozo the Clown costume. So as you see, It'd probably be a punishment enough for Zook to have to come on the show at all tonight. So I'm not going to make him wear something wacky or eat a hot pepper or do some crazy punishment. All I want out of you, Chris Zook, is one final admission that the D.C. Defenders are the best team in the XFL. Take it away, my friend. They are the best team in the XFL North at this point. Yep, you heard it here. You heard it. Thank you, Chris Zook. You have no idea how long I've been waiting to hear that. And the fact that it's not just in conversation between the two of us, but it's recorded. It's on the internet forever. I I can clip it every single year. Listen, I can't deny that they're better than Seattle. I just can't do it. Um, And I'm not being forced to say this. Uh, It is a punishment. It is a punishment. DC has forced me to say this. You have not. But yeah, they they were manhandled. I was thinking about snagging one of those North Division Championship shirts. You should have. And and putting it on you. Oh. Well, <laughs> See, that was going to be the punishment. You should have. But instead, I would have I it. understand. I give Zook his credit. He's a true Seattle fan. He has come on the show tonight when many Dragon fans will be fair weather. He comes on the show tonight wearing the same clothes he was on Sunday because it's been a long 24 hours. It has been. For Chris Sook. I do want to say something, though. Go for it. For my first trip out of the studio, uh, (laughs) the atmosphere was great. Uh, There's not a bad seat in that house. I had excellent seats. I enjoyed the game thoroughly. Besides the Seattle losing part (laughs) and being heckled, I got heckled some. But most DC fans were really great to me. So I'm just glad you had a good time. I did. I'm, I'm glad, did. you know, people were respectful to you for the most part. Of course, wearing that orange, you're going to hear some things. But people were respectful. Thank you, DC fans, for being respectful to Chris Zook. 
His first XFL experience, a good one. It was good. And it didn't it didn't hurt that uh everything was all inclusive. Shout so. out our guys in the DC ticket staff for that one. That's what's up. We will see if we can get Zook and I to Lemon Field next year on the Boulevard Bowl Tour. Because sadly, the Seattle Sea Dragon season is over. And that's probably going to be the one stop we don't make. Again, we're from the Northeast. I'm sorry, Seattle. I promise you. And Zook will promise you. We'll be there next year. But today, this show is about the D.C. Defenders, who are 9-0 and in Audi Field dating back to 2020. They cannot lose in that building. It is magical, the atmosphere that has been created within the DMV sports culture for this team. But, of course, that wasn't the only game this weekend. Most of you are telling me that the Renegades have playoff Perez to thank for where they are now going from seventh in our power poll last month to an XFL championship bid. I'm here to tell you there's a little more to the onion to pull back. So we're going to break that game down in the South. We're going to break down the Arlington Renegades and tell you some other reasons that we warned you about last Friday that may be the reason they get the bid at five and six. D.C., I'm not going to have time on the show tonight to talk about everything I want to talk about with the defenders. So I'll give you the short version. We'll unpack the entire North title game coming up. Zook and I were both in attendance, both witnessing history. First ever XFL team to get double digit wins, recapping the brilliant defensive game plan from Greg Williams and everything in between, including that execution on offense. If you're with us tonight, you may get your question answered in Maddie's mailbag. If you send them in on Twitter, we usually ask for them on Mondays, sometimes on Thursdays as well. And we're going to take a look at the early title game lines. Some of you may have seen this already, and I think we almost hit it on the head, though, because we talked about this in one of our shows before. What would the lines be depending on the matchups? I think we did touch on Arlington, D.C. We were pretty close. So you're going to want to tune in and make sure you find out what that line is. Maybe get an early wager in two weeks in advance. If you're with us live tonight, make sure you drop a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Just because the XFL North and South Division titles have been decided doesn't mean we're going anywhere yet. Many episodes coming. Big title implications in San Antonio. That's going to be great coverage. We have our Freshie Awards. Coming up on Thursday, recapping all the XFL honors. We gave some away in the midseason. Now we're going to go ahead and give more out on Thursday. You can't miss that. Subscribe to the channel. And, of course, our PS5 giveaway will happen live on Thursday. One of you who went four for four this year in our pick and pool will be lucky enough to win a Sony PlayStation 5 courtesy of Spring Ball Boulevard. So Thursday, going to be a fun show. Make sure you subscribe for those notifications. All right, Zook, let's go ahead and hop right into the XFL South Championship game. So, my first question, who had the bigger letdown this weekend in sports? The Boston Bruins or the Houston Roughnecks? Could make a case for either. Saturday night was a shocker in H-Town. They had their biggest crowd out at the rig, amassing 13,000. And they all went home let down except those who made the trip from Dallas. Arlington storming out to a 15-point first-half lead, 
behind the arm of Playoff Perez, who joined us on Spring Ball Boulevard last Friday to talk about what he was going to do to the Houston Roughnecks. And those of you who listened to him knew which side to bet on. He was right. The number that this spread closed at was almost as shocking to me as the result of the game. Houston kicked this game off eight and a half point home favorites. I'm locked in at Arlington plus six and a half early in the week. So of course, I'm seeing the number close and I'm sitting there thinking, who am I missing? Who are the inactives here? Did Perez just blow his knee out in warmups? Why is this number eight and a half? This is ridiculous for a playoff game. You could have had Arlington three to one on the money line before kick. What a value play that would have been. By the way, got a shout out, Renegades D lineman, TJ Barnes, the big guy, the big fella. I tweeted out before the game that it was going to be hard, as it has been all season for teams to score on this Houston Roughnecks defense. And I thought, while Arlington would cover, and I was riding with them on that six and a half, I did not think they could do enough to win the game. TJ Barnes shared that tweet after the game, Zook. Don't know if you saw this. And gave me the suck it, Jeff. <laughs> TJ, I deserve that one. Congratulations on your XFL South Championship. Would love to have you on the show. And we'll see you in San Antonio. And uh, maybe I get a crotch chop in person from them, especially if they go on to beat DC, right? But I don't want any piece of 380-pound TJ Barnes. I promise you that. Back into this game. I leaned Renegades on the number, so I probably should have just taken them outright. Should have trusted my gut from the beginning. Outside of that second half comeback against DC two weeks ago, I just didn't trust this offense enough. All season, they had done nothing. They were stuck in the mud, stuck in neutral for 11 weeks. And speaking of 11, Lawan Winningham, did you see that catch? He may have all three nominees for catch of the year for the Freshie Awards. This guy is doing it week in and week out. Get him an NFL tryout. Guy's just acrobatic with some of the plays that he's been able to make. We watched Luis Perez carve up this Houston secondary throughout the first half. But really, the balance in the run game is what shocked me the most from Arlington. 137 yards on the ground, easily a season high. 94 coming from a banged-up Davion Smith, who we saw limp off onto the sideline and gutted out the rest of the game. He's dealt with injuries all year. They gave the ball to him 25 times. He's been the workhorse. One of the league leaders in carries for certain. And, and we talked about that Friday. All Arlington has wanted to do is get back to the balance. Remember, coming into this season, we knew Seattle, St. Louis, Vegas, Orlando, Houston were coming in with these spread offenses that wanted to throw the ball 50 times a game. Arlington was not that. They leaned more towards a pro-style offense in this system. And those of you who watched XFL 2020 remember that from the St. Louis Battlehawks when Jonathan Hayes was there. Bob Stoops running more of a balanced attack than some of the teams in the league who like to throw it. They found that balance. Luis Perez, masterclass in the playoffs. 289 yards, three touchdowns, and most importantly, Zook, no interceptions. For a team in Houston that came into this game with 13 picks on defense, led the league, Perez took care of the ball. 
the O-line. What a job Coach Heimbach did keeping Perez up, trusting in his guys. There were several points in this season where you just gave up on this offensive line. Coach Jaime never did. He trusted in his guys. The left tackle starter George Moore was out. So Willie Beavers of Western Michigan repping Kalamazoo comes in and plays the kind of game that he did. Great job by him. Man, I mean, everything that I knew about the Arlington Renegades all season may have changed in one moment during this game. And that was on the first drive. I think it was a third and three. About nine minutes left in the first quarter, obviously, Arlington got the ball first. They're in the red zone. I think it was like the 15. In the 10 games leading up to the playoff matchup, if Arlington had third and three from the plus 15, you were looking at an incomplete pass, a sack, a a broken play, some kind of miscue. They weren't getting the first down. They were going to jog Taylor Russolino out and kick a 30-yard field goal. Not this time. Luis Perez dropped back. He stepped up in the pocket as he does so well. And he found Javante Payton, not for the first down, for the touchdown. And I sat back and I said, something seems different here. We are not used to that Arlington offense being aggressive like that and going to the end zone. And Javante Payton runs away from one of the better secondaries in the league all afternoon. 99 times out of 100, Arlington does not score in that situation. I promise if you watch the rest of the XFL season, you know what I'm talking about. This is a different team. It was one of the best play, and it really set the tone. You knew that all the Arlington defense ever needed or ever wanted was a little bit of a cushion, right? Jay Hayes pleading with his brother, Jonathan, please, just give us a cushion. We'll do our thing as probably the best defense in the league from a statistical standpoint, we'll do our thing. We'll create turnovers. We'll stop them. We're good. We just need the offense to step up and score some points, and that's what happened right from the opening horn. The offense did their job. They scored on drive one. Defense comes out and says, okay, we got you. Turnover on downs immediately. First drive for Houston. It it did. It set the tone for the rest of the evening, and at that point, even Zook, who bet Houston minus six and a half, knew that Houston covering nine was probably long gone and that they were actually going to have to scratch and claw just to win this game. I remember I got a text from Zook during the game. I think I'm in trouble here. And it was because Arlington looked so different than what both of us are used to watching all these games. They were the live favorite right after that happened. The Renegades didn't care that they came in four and six and that everybody said St. Louis should have made the playoffs over them. They just wanted to be one and oh. And they wanted to find themselves in San Antonio. We told you Friday they were averaging 80 more pass yards per game with Luis Perez in there. 289. <laughs> That's even more. 19 to 27. Houston, we said, 13 picks. Luis didn't throw one of them. He didn't give this defense opportunities to score, which is something else we discussed. Could Houston possibly get a pick six, a strip sack, fumble recovery, something on special teams? No, they did not. Javante Payton, they know him well in Knoxville, transferred from Mississippi State within the SEC to Tennessee. Did some great stuff there. I remember watching him on a 75-yard screen pass right to the house back in college. Great player for the Vols. He was part of that three-way trade 
He was on the Orlando Guardians, may I remind you. They did that three-way trade. It was like Javante Payton goes to Arlington. Alex Ellis, who's been great for D.C., comes from the Renegades to the Defenders, and T.J. Storm at the O-Lyman went to Orlando. It's a three-way trade, and I think the only team that didn't benefit was the Guardians because Storm tore his bicep like right after they traded for him. But the other two players have been great. Davion Smith running really hard behind that offensive line. I, I got to give the front office some credit for finding guys like Javante Payton and Luis Perez and going out and getting these guys, right? Uh, we, we came in understanding that the Arlington defense was full of talent, but, but some of the stuff the offense did, like neutralizing Trent Harris, who was the XFL sack leader, and I'm hearing now, according to Evan Wilsmore of XFL News Hub, that Harris is, is getting offers from over eight NFL teams or at least tryouts. Like, come on, they, they did not allow Trent Harris to get to Perez whatsoever. He was not a factor. So, so credit them up front there and whew, go to the Houston side of things. They exposed what most of us knew already about Brandon Silvers, but maybe were hesitant to say and wanted to give him another chance. And that is, he is not a starting quarterback in this league or any league. Um, someone makes an excellent point to me in the Twitter replies after this game. And I, I will stop and get your input on this as well, Zook. I know, <laughs> you know, this is going to be putting you on the spot. If Houston has A.J. McCarron or Ben DiNucci this season, are they XFL champions? It's a thinker for sure. I think it definitely puts them in the mix. Yeah. Um, they had great talent around Silvers and McDonald. They had a great defense all season. To be honest, I'm not sure if they... Like, it kills me to say this, but I'm not sure if they could beat DC even with one of them. That's a great point, too. And, and I thought it was interesting in the Twitter replies that someone had that thought. Because I get where you're coming from. This quarterback play fell off a cliff, and we'll get to the numbers in a second. But to kind of watch the, the downward spiral of that quarterback-coach partnership between A.J. Smith and Brandon Silvers, it, it was kind of hard and, and difficult to watch. People were talking about Brandon Silvers as an MVP candidate back in early March. This time... He gets benched in the first quarter. In his final two snaps, he throws his running back, Bryson Aline, into a massive hit. Like, you, you cannot throw your players into that as a quarterback. And then the next play, it's third and 14. They run the ball, trailing in the first quarter. I was puzzled. To me, that's A.J. Smith saying, we can't get 14 yards through the air here. So I'm going to punt, and I'm going to play it safe. And that is not Houston Roughnecks football. Not the team we were used to seeing the first six weeks of the season. They're going for it on third and 14. We saw the end of that Seattle game, Zook. They scored like 14 points right at the end of the game, and all of a sudden we were, we were sitting here like, this is a game because of how good they were in the deep pass. Yeah, I didn't hear anything about a GTFO. Well, we just have to hope Brandon Silvers doesn't hear the GTFO <laughs> to the USFL. 
man, I don't know. It, it's just it's hard to watch. Cole McDonald comes in, leads the offense on a 12-play, 61-yard drive. You think, okay, this is a ball game again. Roll with Cole. Didn't work either because the drive chart the rest of the way after that first McDonald touchdown went like this. Punt, punt, punt. Settle for a field goal inside the 10. Punt again. Throw a pick. Ball game. This is the harsh reality for the Houston Roughnecks. And if you haven't ran that stat graphic yet that you're about to, Zook, you can go ahead and run it whenever because I'm going to get into the numbers. First five games for Houston. If you're on podcast, listen closely. If not, listen anyway. This was a wild stat that I found. First five games, Houston, average 251 passing yards. They complete 63% of their passes. They throw 12 touchdowns through the air versus four interceptions. First half of the season. Got to clear my throat because that's how crazy this next part is. Last five games, 121 yards passing per game. They completed 49% of their passes. They threw three touchdowns in five games and seven picks. I don't know at any level of football unless... Matty Fresh himself got thrusted into a starting quarterback role, you'd have that much of a drop-off. It'd be hard to find. So the answer is, I don't know. I don't know what happened. You could point to John Trey Kirkland. He was amazing. One player should not make a difference when you've got Deontay Burnett, when you've got Travell Harris and Cedric Bird, and you just acquire Michael Bandy late. You got some decent options. Max Borgie, Bryson Aline, Jeremy Cox came on at the end of the year. We saw Dejon Lee do good things. And when you got a defense like this, too, keeping you in games, like, I just, that's the question mark of the season for me. I will never be able to figure out, Zook, what happened to this Houston air raid that we were having so much fun watching the first half of the season? My opinion is they stopped having fun. Could be. They, they lost a game. Seattle, pressure man. builds. Yeah. They lose another game. Pressure builds. What did they go on? A three or four game losing streak there? Yeah. Three. It was every every XFL North team they were three. swept. Yeah. Except Vegas. And when I went to the the TDCU Stadium in Houston and we asked after the game, we were talking to Brandon Silvers and we asked him like what what really is it? Like a lot of the same question and and he mentioned that he's like, I haven't been practicing. And I understand he was banged up at points in the season. But there were also times where I'd get the Houston injury report. And the opposing team would have a full practice report, who's injured, who's not. This would be like a Tuesday or Wednesday. You'd get Houston walkthrough or like rest day or like regeneration day. And it would always be like an extra day of practice. Like you look at DC's practice report. Barlow and Williams and, and Fred Kice have them in there like pretty much Tuesday, unless they have a late Sunday game, usually Tuesday, and you get a full practice all week. Sometimes I was seeing Houston sit Tuesday and Wednesday. So again, I don't know. I'm not in the XFL hub, and I'm not watching these practices to know exactly what's going on. I'm just relying on the spreadsheet and the report. 
but Silver's kind of said, like, we just haven't been practicing. I wonder what, what the deal is there. So I guess my question would be, did they have, like, obviously they all shared the same equipment yeah. and fields mm-hmm. and all of that. Did they get the raw end of a time schedule? I would say more Seattle. And, and, and actually, when we get into this game, Jim Hazlitt harped on this in the press conference. They played 20 or 25 days. They played five games at the beginning of the season. I don't think Houston had it as, as bad. They did have a weird turnaround where they did have to play, what was that, the Thursday night game right. between Houston and Seattle? But I do remember Wade Phillips also telling us after the Vegas game that maybe the coaching staff got a little complacent. And if they did, that rubbed off on the players. Did they think they had the XFL South locked up? And they just wrote it off. And they said, you know, we're going to coast into the playoffs and we're, we're going to rely on our talent to win a championship. I just don't see, like, a, a Wade Phillips coach team so old school with, with Brian Stewart, his longtime defensive coordinator, and then A.J. Smith, who I would have told you five weeks ago is going to get plucked out into the NFL. He was that damn good. and. It, it, it was sad to see ESPN showing less and less of A.J. Smith every week. Right. At the beginning, it was, here's A.J. Smith. Enjoy. He's brilliant. The play calling is phenomenal. This is propping up our league and showing you what kind of offense we can run to barely hearing him or seeing him at all. So, and the other point I want to make, and I'm not trying to dog Brandon, mm-hmm. but like he we did comment over the season of his body language. Yeah. And sometimes that, like I was talking about Danucci's attitude being infectious. Yeah. Uh, It could could be infectious the other way too. Yeah. So we don't know. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case, but you never know. There could just be locker room issues. There could be tons of things. Like we're never going to know. I'm glad DC pulled out their game the way they did in week one. Because if you look at what happened with Houston and, and smashing Orlando right out of the gate and lighting it up for 33 points, pretty much everybody thought Houston was going to win the XFL championship after that, and it wasn't going to be close because there was no other team in the league that was playing up to that standard. I wonder if that got to their head a bit. That was early. Then they went on and did even more like phenomenal offense. So the Houston Roughnecks, well, we can go on all day. The story here is the Arlington Renegades. Congratulations to the XFL South Division champs. Everybody counted you out. I did pick DC and Arlington to play in the title before the season. But again, I can't even hide behind that because by week five, I had Arlington at seventh of eight in the power pole. And I called them the Renefades. And multiple times, I'll own up to this, like multiple times I said, This team is worse than Orlando. Like, I'll be completely honest with you guys. You can go back and find this stuff. You don't have to, though, because I'm admitting to it right here. I just want to give Arlington credit because they are the story of the XFL South this year. Just a shame it all has to end with the D.C. defenders and taking a pounding in San Antonio. So I'd like to weigh in on Arlington, too. Yeah. Uh, Clearly, I was way wrong. But one big thing that really... I couldn't believe the way they ran the ball. Yeah. We, we talked about Davion Smith. Just and, I, stud. and I sat there and said last week, well, why didn't their pass game open up the run game? Yeah. 
uh, they can't rush over 50 yards. No, you should have seen. I think I had together. I was going to say them. I had the game by game totals together. They went over 100 like maybe twice this whole season. They got right. 137 on Saturday. Easily the season high. Where did that come from? Well, it was like early first quarter. Um, at a sports bar yeah. watching the game with somebody that hasn't watched XFL. Yeah. And I was like, um, just on that run alone, I think they have almost, there's what yeah. normally, normally they rush against Houston. Yep. And I was like, this is wild. And then they just kept on doing it. Yeah. I was, I was blown away by the balance and, and Bob Stoops, you just know that like we coming into the season, like I said, I had them two in the power pole. You just could never count this staff out. And I always go back to like Vegas and San Antonio and their situations where people were let go and relieved of their duties. And I was like, well, where's the change in Arlington? Because this is arguably worse offensively than what's going on in, in both those cities. And it never came because his coaching staff stayed together and they fixed it. Right. They didn't overreact in year one and fire everybody. Bob Stoops knows his guys. He's stuck with them. He didn't care how much pressure he maybe had from even the league to say, yo, make a change. He said, we're not going to make a change coaching-wise. We're going to get Luis Perez and Javante Payton and bring those guys in and let them stunt all over Houston. The Texas throwdown, the weight just shifted to the Arlington Renegades who host at the XFL Hub. Should be very interesting for them going on to San Antonio. And the Arlington Renegades awaited their fate for Sunday's XFL North Championship game. DC, we ain't done yet. 10 wins. What a season so far. Defenders dropped 37, tying their highest point total of the season. To me, they saved their best showing in all three phases for when they needed it most here. Hosting Seattle, a very streaking, hot Seattle squad who got the ball first, came out five wide with Peasy, Gordon, Blake Jackson, Juwan Green, and Jordan Vesey, and said, we're going to let Ben Danucci win or lose this thing. The crazy part, he didn't either. We warned you of the weather conditions. I said they weren't going to throw for 400 yards. Wet ball, not good. For the run-and-shoot offense, obviously, you don't need to be a rocket science to figure that out or have a meteorology degree. The ball was wet. Five drops on the first two drives, including three from Juwan Green, who's been phenomenal lately. So this time, it wasn't Ben Denucci forcing throws into coverage or Ben Denucci throwing ill-advised interceptions down in the red zone. It wasn't any of that. He was putting good balls on these guys, and because of the rain... Green and Gordon having trouble. He threw it, Danucci threw it 15 times in the first quarter. I remember being appalled at that stat when we got the stats. And that means he was on pace to throw it 60 times. Ended with 48, by the way, so got kind of close. But on the other side in the first quarter, Jordan Tamu, 3 of 5, 111 yards, and a touchdown in the first quarter. So he made his statement that he was going to win this game for D.C. Credit Briley Moore. Lucky Jackson, you'll see these plays in a bit. D.C. has become Yak City. If someone's going to make a sign, hold it up. Yak City. Yards after the catch. We said it Friday. I promised you, look at what these receivers can do. Look at what all these skill position players can do with the ball in their hands. The separation that they create is incredible. 
but we still went into the half knotted up at nine. And talking with Zook before the show, he said, when it was 9-9, I was feeling pretty good. And as a DC fan, as the favorite, yeah, I'm a little worried. I'm like, okay, little bit of a slow start. Jordan comes out, throws two picks on some batted balls. Great play by Antoine Brooks, by the way, on the second one. But it was weird because Jordan only threw three picks all season. So I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to need a little help here. Overbetters weren't very happy, much like they weren't happy in week eight. But you knew that we were going to see some fireworks in the second half because, remember, these two teams combined for 30 points in the fourth quarter in week eight, and they were going to run up the score in the second half of this ball game. In the third quarter, D.C. comes out immediately, sets the tone offensively, 11-play, 78-yard drive that, again, featured a lot of Briley Moore. By the way, I have to give my flowers. If I'm going to talk about Briley Moore, I got to give my flowers to Cody Krill. Tight end coach of the D.C. Defenders comes here from, was it Northwestern State? He was the O.C. there. Comes over to the tight end coach of the D.C. Defenders. Think about this room. Briley Moore, breakout game. Amazing catch at Orlando. One of the plays of the year with Derek King. Ethan Wolf, amazing first half of the season. Banged up a little bit mid-year. Comes back in the playoffs. Catches a 26-yard touchdown on Sunday. Alex Ellis, midseason, gets acquired from Arlington. Been a beast in the red zone. Has a couple touchdowns, caught a great conversion. So what a tight end room. No tight end room in the XFL has that depth that DC does. So, so great job from, from Cody Krill. But the defense, they continued to play within that Greg Williams game plan, which clearly was to harass Ben DiNucci. We said he'd be like a house cat in a bathtub, and he didn't get to run around much. They took his legs out of it. They, they saw how many rushing yards he racked up this season. They said, we're not going to have that. Danucci only ran it three times for 16 yards, and one of those was on a scamper late in the game in garbage time. Even when Michael Joseph, D.C.'s top corner, went out and did not come back in this game with a groin injury, K.J. Sales stepped up, and he's been banged up lately, but the mayor, K.J., stepped up. He got playoff K-9 in there, and he did his job against some damn good Seattle receivers. And this was an offense with Seattle that was refusing. I mean refusing to run the ball. And that was part of the game plan. The Dragons had one rushing attempt for one yard in the first half. They ended up with five carries for 13 yards. They ran it five times this entire game. 13 penalties. Didn't help. We'll get to that in a second. When we asked Jim Hazlitt in the postgame about the run-pass balance, he said that was the plan. We we're going to come out, give Danucci the keys, spread them out five wide with what they think is the best receiving core in the league, and go win the game. And, and Danucci, 295 yards and three touchdowns. Almost enough to get him there. He did not throw a pick. I think that has to be the first game all season, Zuck. That he, he was without interception, without a turnover. Gave it his all. I want to talk about a certain point in the game where I knew this was over. Right at the start of the fourth quarter, Seattle defense flagged for a five-yard penalty on a fourth and six. DC was at the, they were at their 44-yard line, so in the minus 44. They get a fourth and one now because of a five-yard penalty. I think it was too many men, Zook, we said. So they get a fourth and one to start the fourth quarter. They bring Dan Whelan, the punter, off the field. 
Barlow does the, you know, you see this from every coach in football. He does, yeah, it's fourth and one. We're going to go out there and try to draw him off. If you stop DC there, or even force them to punt it away, call a timeout and punt it away, Seattle would have got the ball at the plus 44. And remember, at this point in the game, it was 23 to nine. Can you imagine what that would have done for them with that passing attack at that point in the game? Instead, they got a foul for encroachment. And those back-to-back penalties kept D.C. driving. It reminded me a little bit, Zook, of the Houston game on Monday night at Audi Field about a month or so ago where Seattle completely spiraled out of control the same way Houston did with the nonsense not being disciplined, the penalties, all of it. They let their emotions truly get the best of them. Sure, you saw it on the highlights. Sharif Miller hits Jordan late, gets flagged for roughing, kicks the flag. 30 yards right there. And Miller was having a good game. He had a pick in the first half. I know some of you don't want to believe me because you think I'm biased and you think I'm this DC loudmouth. That fan, like that fan base. It's almost hard to put in words how much they get under the opponent's skin. It's a very real home field advantage. And for as loud as it gets in St. Louis, the Battlehawks are not 9-0 and all time in the Dome. That's for a reason. They get reckless in that building. You're getting hit with lemons. What other football stadium are you getting hit with lemons as an opposing team? We saw it throughout the whole afternoon. 381 total yards and 29 first downs for this offense, led to five touchdowns. So, Zook, correct me if I'm wrong here, and I will bring you in. 13 penalties. Was it 13 penalties where you felt like you were getting screwed by the officials because DC only had three? Or was it the other side where you were just disappointed in your team because you knew they were playing undisciplined? All right, so it's tough to tell from the stands. I have not had time to re-watch the game yet, which I will. Uh, it was a tough weekend for me. <laughs> from where I was sitting, no. I, didn't, I don't think it was lopsided at all. I know I'm sitting there watching. It's fourth and six. We get a 12-man again. Now it's fourth and one. I'm in the stands going, don't jump. Don't jump. They're, all they're you know trying to they're do, yeah. all they're trying to do is get you to jump. They're probably not even going to snap the ball. What do we do? We jump. We give a free first down. Uh, a stat that I never got to in our preview of this game was in the week eight meeting, Seattle gave four first downs off of penalties. You know what it was this time I looked at it? Take a guess. I'm going to go with. Seven. Eight. Okay. Eight first downs on penalties, guys. So you, like a you, stat. You're, you're not going to win. A stat that I was like honing in on that I never shared like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Now we doubled it. Jinx it. Yep. Now we doubled it. Uh, it's, it's bad. It's just, like you said, undisciplined. Yeah. Now, again, I may have a different opinion after, after I watch the game. Mm. You don't get to see the highlights the same way. You don't get to hear the commentary. There's a lot of things you miss. So I'd like to watch it again. But my gut reaction from what I saw from the from from the uh, 
the stands is that no, it was it it wasn't lopsided right. in an unfair way. Correct us if we're wrong, but I don't think Jim Haslett used this challenge at all. So you got thirteen penalties, thirteen opportunities to challenge. If you don't do it once, it, it tells me one of two things: either you needed your timeout because you thought you were coming back late in the fourth quarter, or there was none to challenge. It could have been 0 for 13 where Hazlitt was like, yeah, we screwed up. I'm not even going to throw the flag here because I'm going to look like an idiot. Blandino's going to say, oh yeah, uh, Tuzar Skipper grabs Jordan Tamu by the face mask and drags him down on the sideline when he could have just ran him out of bounds. Well, let's be honest. He doesn't overturn anything anyways. Yeah, so Hazlitt just holding on to that timeout So you know what? The timeout's more worth it to me than losing a challenge. I, I get that. But yeah, the 13 penalties, eight, eight gave up first downs. Whew. Five penalties on that one drive, Zook, alone that we just talked about. Whew. I mean, it's just nonsense stuff. And, and I'm not sure that Seattle was in a position where, you know, they could bounce back from that sort of thing. Jordan comes out at the end of that drive. Abram Smith was banged up. And at a point, they're inside the 20 with the Eric King and Cam Harris the new addition at running back that was cut from Seattle in training camp. Throwing a little shade there, but uh, I think Cam Harris was a little more motivated for this one. You could throw the shade. We don't use the running back anyways. Yeah, maybe like, Maybe he really und- – I mean, he got five carries and scored on two of them. So. I legit said to you before the show, Yeah. why did we sign Philip Lindsay if you ain't going to use him? By the way, where in the world was TJ Hammonds? Was he I- inactive? I don't know. I mean, talk about one of your best weapons all year, Speedster. Didn't touch the ball. I don't think he saw the field. And and he's a wide receiver. He came in the year. They call him a receiver. Obviously, they used him at running back throughout the year. It doesn't matter. He's fast. Get him the ball. I don't see him on the field. Maybe he wasn't playing. I don't know. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, they didn't use Lindsey whatsoever. Cam Harris double-dipped. Ended up scoring two touchdowns in his debut. <laughs> Von Hutchins just built this roster like next man up mode. Okay, QB1 and RB1 out for the season. Or excuse me, out for the drive. Definitely not. They're going to play in the title game. But out for the drive, yeah, sure. Come bring Cam Harris in his debut and Derek King. Let them run the little read option. Harris, five carries, 25 yards, two touchdowns. Great story for the guy from the U. Just like Derek King. Cool to see them out there together again. 30 to 9 with 11 minutes to play. To me, that was a wrap. And, and how about this offensive line? Coach Russ deserves a raise more than anybody's in that building. What a job. Liam Ryan, left guard, playing every single snap of this season, did not miss one down. Phenomenal. Demarcus Hayes, Liam Fornadel, Ty Clary, Kyle Murphy. Great job to all the guys up front. Not a single sack for Seattle Sunday. I'm sure that shocks Zook. This team was after the quarterback in St. Louis. They were after Jordan in week eight, did not register a single sack. And I do credit Jordan a little bit for making things happen with his legs. He had some moves going on Sunday, but, you know, that offensive line really held up. I think they're the best in the league. And, and mind you, they're missing three day one starters that all got injured in the first half of the season. With all that said, we can all agree that Sunday belonged to Greg Williams, who hadn't coached a pro football playoff game in over a decade. This meant a lot to him. He lost his father-in-law, Mike Shannon, the day before. We saw it on his play sheet in memory of Mike Shannon. Greg Williams was motivated during this entire game and during the entire week of practice. 
He coached his defensive front to fight every single down. He coached his defensive backs to keep the Seattle receivers in front of him. Zook and I talking before the show, probably hard for him to admit they didn't have a big play. It was little dink and dunk, short passing game, trying to make something happen. It's because DC kept the receivers in front of them. They, they refused to let anybody run by them like they did in week eight. And that, that's, you know, that's coaching. They contained Danucci so he couldn't just take off for 20 yards if someone wasn't open as he has all year. Did not run. And, and DC didn't even force a turnover, which we're used to seeing the pick sixes in Audi Field, right? Not this time. But they did make big plays that are not going to show up in the stat sheet. We mentioned KJ Sales coming in for the injured Michael Joseph. DJ Swearinger was out there all afternoon. We talked about the really cool matchup between him and Josh Gordon, who played against each other in the NFL many times. I don't think they were the same draft class, but within a year of each other, both second-round NFL picks. That was great to see. And I've been saying it since the beginning of February. It feels so good to sit here and tell everybody the D.C. defenders are heading to San Antonio, and I told you so. Mic drop. And I'm a little on my high horse today, Zook, because not only did my D.C. defenders get a win in the XFL North title for the first time in what felt like ages, I hit both my best bets. Round of applause for me, myself, and I, because for the life of me, I could not hit two bets. And you don't know how good it felt to get this monkey off my back and do it in the playoffs. And it wasn't close. Arlington plus six and a half ran away with it. First half up 23, nine or something. DC. I mean, at halftime, I'm like, eh, this could get tricky. Second half ran away with it. Zook. I'm on the other side of that equation (laughs) where you do know how bad it hurts to be the position that I'm in. Oh, and two. Oh boy. At least you didn't have a bad beat, though, because you could have, right? These weren't close. You kind of knew Houston. I remember you texting me, I'm in trouble. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they may not win the game, period. Correct. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, mm. forget the spread at this point. Uh, and and at you that, know, XFL overtime, you can't cover six and a half. So. And at that point, I didn't care. I was like, well, I'm not winning my bet. So <laughs> yep. let's, see what, let's see it. Why <laughs> yeah, not? Let's see the upset. Ah, uh, seven and five, not bad whatsoever, Zook. We're both two games above five hundred. Say it ain't so. Nineteen and fifteen as a show. It's Oak. I'll say it now. I don't know what Zook's gonna do for his his championship game best bet. We're gonna get one each. And if they're the same, so be it. They haven't been all season. Zook has not wanted to copy my pick. I have not wanted to copy his. It's a pride thing. Yeah, and you know what? I think I'm blaming that on this past week because I just straight faded. I did pick what I felt was right, but yeah. I still we still straight faded each other. <laughs> and um, you pulled up, or you, I, you, I pulled up two games. You pulled down. So what do we do for the show record? But I I sat here thinking to myself, and I even said I'm trying to talk about this game without emotion. But the real play was the over, and I knew that. Yeah, the actually, DC I Seattle the, under, the over. 
that was the play. Oh, we were sitting there at nine and nine at halftime. I'm I know, but it was, it was still the play. I, I yeah. knew better. I knew better. They How many just... points did we get in the second half? So it was nine to nine, and thirty-seven twenty-one. So we had fifty-eight points. Wow. Yeah. Forty second half points. Yeah, in and this even game. even um, Seattle's garbage touchdown at the matter at, at the end yeah, didn't matter anyway. Put it over because I'm trying to think. It was thirty to nine for a while. It, it was Green scores makes it thirty to fifteen. They don't get the conversion. It was so that, it was still under then. It was under until you guys scored that last hurt. It was the, the last Cam Harris touchdown, yeah. which was garbage time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you knew DC wasn't settling for field goals down there. They were trying to punch it in, but yeah, I don't know what we did for ourselves there other than cancel each other out. But it does feel good to be back above 500 for me. I was I was sitting there at 10 and 10 wondering how this would go. Um, the upsetting but, part is that now I don't have the leverage on you like I did before. Well, let's talk about this for a second. Sure. We know the spread. If you haven't seen it yet, DC, six-point favorite, yeah, six. neutral field in San Antonio against the Arlington Renegades. I think on Friday, we talked about both scenarios. If either team would win, I asked you about potentially Houston, Seattle. You gave me a number. I took Arlington, D.C. I said six and a half. It's six. This number will probably close at seven and a half or eight, if, yes. if I had to guess. Now, so I've that's... been wrong on some line movement. I thought D.C. number was going to go up and maybe go to four, four and a half. Did you see what that closed at, Zuck? I don't know if you were looking at No, your, your I account. didn't. That closed at one. Oh, really? That number, both these numbers on divisional championship weekend, after like not looking at it for a few hours, shocked me. I opened up my account. I see eight and a half for Arlington Houston. I'm like, that shot up. And then I, right before kickoff in Audi Field, it's sitting at Seattle plus one. I'm like, geez, I lost value at minus three. Right. So I'm looking at. If I'm going to jump on an early play, then you want the DC number now. And you bet who already took it. And if you <laughs> don't, if you want Arlington and points, I think you wait as close to the close of uh, the start of the game as possible. You Maybe know, those like within old... a day or two of yeah. the game itself, I think yeah, you can oh, yeah. get real good value. Of course, of course. You're at six. That may go seven and a half, eight. You know those old I think folks. It, I, I think like, it'll go to eight. Those old folks who like stand outside of grocery stores at like six fifty nine. <laughs> yeah, and they're like waiting to. That's me at the sports book with DC. So you bet it like <laughs> as soon as it came out. I'm just. Are we open? Somebody, please give me six because I know where it's going. Right, six is a pretty good steal. And again, if Zook and I end up with the same best bet this week. You know, don't hop in the chat and say, that ain't right. I want two plays. It can happen, guys. I don't know if, if we're going to necessarily take a total here. I don't know what Zook's going to do. You know what I'm going to do. But, yeah, yeah I'm not I sure. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm probably waiting. I'm going to hold yeah. out because I want to see what it turns into. Okay. If they covered Ar last time. If Arlington, Arlington gets eight, yeah. eight and a half, yeah. I like it. It's what it was week nine, and they covered. They I don't, lost by two. So. I don't love it. Seeing what DC did in the yeah. rain, now you're going to put them in a dome. I'm, I mean, we're going to break that down, but yeah. so I, I just thinking out loud on, at this point, yeah. I'm waiting. Large. I'm going to wait on it. What was the total? Uh, 
I want to say it, it opened 46 and a half. 46 and a half was the opening total. Middle of the road, That's... pretty much, I'd say. I mean, last time out, they scored 54, but the game went to overtime. Right. So, yeah, I get that. But, yeah, you're indoors. No weather elements. No home field advantage. Uh, did you see the XFL championship trophy yet? I have not. You you're gonna have to take a look. We you should have told me. We'll we, put it up we Thursday. We should have got a graphic awards. for it. Yeah, we will. We will Thursday. But the XFL unveiled their championship trophy. Uh, if you've seen the divisional championship trophy, it's much like it, except a little snazzier. Is it? Uh, good? You like it? Is it good? I love it. Okay. But I also love things that are almost hilariously bad. Oh no! You know because that's just part of like oh this is a startup league right but who cares i mean if if you don't like the championship trophy don't watch the game i mean i'm gonna quick google it while you ramble on yeah well i was about to close the show but i guess we'll do the mailbag while you look up the 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 google image uh and if you see the big x that's in the pro football hall of fame that's from 2001 so that's not the right one Let's go ahead and run through some of your Twitter questions this evening. As always, tweet me at MattyFreshTV, not only for winning plays, but I might answer a couple of your questions every once in a while. Lane Ranger coming at us on Twitter. Thank you for the question, Lane. Should the commanders look at Jordan Tamu and keep him in the district? He has skills, moves, and drive. Great compliments. I'm sure Jordan would love to hear that. Um, that's a good way to put it. We heard from Reggie Barlow in the post-game press conference who said Jordan deserves an opportunity at the next level and that he would hate to lose him, but that's what he's here for and the rest of the coaches in the league to get these guys opportunities at the next level. Back in 2020, when Jordan was with the Battlehawks, we saw him get an opportunity with the Kansas City Chiefs. Didn't work out for him. He went to play in the Summer League in Birmingham, tore it up there, has come to D.C. Very surprising, by the way, that D.C. was able to get both Jordan and Derek. Jordan made a comment, which I thought was very interesting, in the post-game presser. Someone asked him what he thinks about the Arlington Renegades, and I wasn't even putting two and two together. The Arlington Renegades coaching staff, everybody except Bob Stoops, is from the St. Louis Battlehawks 2020 version. Jay Hay- no, Jonathan Hayes was the head coach. Jay Hayes was the DC. Chuck Long was there. The whole staff. And they have a bunch of guys on Arlington that were Jordan's teammates back in 2020. So he knows them well. I'm almost shocked with their quarterback issues this year, Zuck, that they weren't able to get him with all the connections. So I guess I'm grateful for Jordan, and I don't want him to leave. But also, if I have to say goodbye to JT10, the Washington Commanders, it would be a pretty cool landing spot. Uh, to go over and, and see him play across town would be kind of nice. But, yeah, I would expect him to get an opportunity somewhere. We'll have to see. Thanks for the question, Lane. Appreciate it, man. All right, next we got Brian. Back to Whiskey Dong, one of our favorites. What was your favorite stadium that you covered a game at besides D.C.? Got to be the Battle Dome, right? And I know this Brian's a Battlehawks fan. That's why he wanted to ask me this. It was really cool. I, I got a warm welcome as soon as I walked into the Battle Dome. And it's really sometimes more about the people, right, than it is about even the atmosphere. 
the people that make you feel welcome in this league. This is a league of access and a league of opportunity for everybody from, you know, the janitor on the ground floor all the way up to the rock. It's, it's really cool to see how great the XFL staff has been, especially in St. Louis. And I walk down to my seat at the press box, right? And it's open air because you got the indoor stadium. So you're not sitting behind a window, a glass window, like you are in many places. And, and what an atmosphere to just catch that game from up top, then to go down to the field. And you see, we were there for the Vegas game. Brian Hill runs in a, a winning conversion. So St. Louis, I would have to say was, was my favorite stop other than DC. Um, I want to, I want to interject. Yeah. Um, Include DC. Give me a top three on the spot. DC's one for reasons other than accommodation. I think just the atmosphere in general, but like best accommodation, St. Louis, um, that third spot, Houston. And I, I say that because they have like a really cool environment. Like it feels like college football. And that's because the Houston Cougars play there. And I love college stadiums. That's, that's, I've, I've wanted to go to all the college stadiums I possibly can in my life. And you get that feel at TDECU, and it's a great seat in the press box. I think some of the other stadiums that we've been to, right? Arlington converted baseball stadium. So kind of a weird view from the press box. Vegas, minor league baseball park. You're sitting behind home plate. Not a great view. Um, where else did we go? Orlando was another one where I'm always like, how do the college football, how does UCF not play here? Right. But Orlando was, was a pretty cool one. Um, and yeah, I think that's, I think that's covering just about everywhere we went. Well, obviously we have to get to the Alamo dome and see how that is. That that's going to be Zook and I both going. That's going to be great. But yeah, I would say top three, DC, St. Louis, Houston for now. And we got one more from Walt with three Texas teams in the South. Should one of these teams be traded to the North to balance things out? If so, which team? First of all, Walt, thank you for following along all year. Always appreciate your questions. Always hit them with, with every question you can imagine, Walt. We're, we'll get to all of them eventually. Might have to dig in the mailbag pretty deep. But uh, I don't know if you have to on this one, Zook. I think that I kind of like the Texas throwdowns and the showdowns or whatever you want to call them. Um, obviously Arlington, Houston playing three times this year, Arlington gets the better of them in the South championship. I wouldn't, I, I don't feel the need to trade a team. I always thought it was kind of strange that of course, Orlando is kind of the odd man out there not being in Texas, but I don't think I would add another Texas team to the league either. I think you're, you're covered there. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see the need to, I like the divisions. What about you, Zuck? Yeah, I just don't see a Texas team moving. If anybody's right. going to move, Maybe it's Orlando. probably Orlando. That's Yeah, but that doesn't really help either because you got to – like I guess Walt is approaching this like we need balance because of what happened with the tiebreakers. I think you're going to see that anyways. I think – Maybe that, you move St. Louis to the south. They're not moving anywhere. Are you – No. Oh, you mean just to divisions? Division. Yeah. Maybe swap them for Orlando? I don't know. I mean, if you want to balance it out a little bit, that would make sense geographically. I just think it is a southern state. You're going to have a lot of turnover in this yeah. league, I would think. You're going to get guys that are going out. You're going to get the next guys that are coming in to get their chance. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more turnover. There won't be as much parity, I would think. That's my gut. Okay. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I think you're definitely going to get like a, one or two of these squads. My gut lean is that it, it becomes D.C. and St. Louis. 
that are the two teams that are able to build franchises in this league that don't experience a lot of turnover. I think we saw AJ commit pretty much for year two. That will bring a lot of guys back. He'll probably lose Hakeem Butler, maybe Brian Hill and some guys on defense. Anthony Beck is certainly back, and he'll bring the whole staff back. DC, another one. Reggie Barlow's not going anywhere. Probably get Greg Williams back for year two. I know Fred Kais is Barlow's guy. And then maybe you lose Jordan, but then you got Derek next man up. Like Abram Smith, eh, we'll see. There's some good receivers, good players on defense. But I think DC will retain a lot. Seattle's the one I don't. I think you guys will lose a ton of players to the NFL. I agree. I think you'll lose possibly some assistant coaches from how Jim Hazlitt approached the question. Ron Zook, June Jones getting up there. Is this a one and done? Do you want to commit to this long term? You don't have anything else to prove in your career. Do you say, all right, we're going to give it to the young guys. Let Hazlitt run this thing. Next man up, OC, DC. I don't know, but. Danucci going to be an NFL camp, probably. I mean, will Josh Gordon get another shot? Who's to say? Jawan Green probably will. PZ probably will. Blake Jackson might. Uh, the defense, geez, pick your poison there. Um, I think you guys lose more than any, any team in the league. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys getting invited to camp. Oh, yeah. but Big percentage, what, I would say. Almost 20% of the whole league. Maybe because I'm not so familiar. How... Just cover that quickly, how that works, yeah. if you get invited to a camp. Because I remember you so, telling yeah. me about this. I yeah, think this been, is important to talk about. There's been some great reporting on it from Mike Mitchell of XFL News Hub. I think Evan Wilsmore is another great one you should follow. Keeps in contact with a lot of this stuff. He's from XFL News Hub as well. Um, from, from what I've learned, you can talk. The NFL can talk to these players as soon as their regular season or playoff is over. So they cannot talk to dc or arlington right now but the, the talks with like houston have already begun i said earlier trent harris has over eight offers um it is that the contract cannot be signed until the 15th of may but you can have you can have the initial talks you can invite these players to a workout um but may 15th is the first day we can see anybody from all eight teams get sign a deal right so my question is if you go to a camp mm -hmm. Are you obligated to, are you like, say you don't make the team. Yeah. Are you still allowed to come back to the XFL then? That, that goes a lot with, if you didn't catch on Twitter, what Ben Danucci said, when I asked him if he would come back for 2024, he said to be determined. He didn't elaborate. I think it, he, the reason he doesn't elaborate is because there is a chance he can make a 53 man roster. Now the, the thing for Ben Danucci is let's say you go through camp, you get a 53 man spot you're in. XFL is over, right? If you come in and you get a practice squad spot and they say, well, you're not good enough for the 53, so you're cut. But we would like to sign you to our practice spot. A lot more money. Do you take it or do you take your job with the Seattle Sea Dragons back? I can't the, do both. I take the job back. Yeah. Get those reps. Those reps are so important. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a 50-50 split for a lot of guys. I think that more would lean towards the NFL practice squad because ultimately this is their dream, and it's not just about the money. It's about if I'm in here every day and on the practice squad, I'm showing my worth that I want to play in this league someday. And I, you know, maybe guys later in their career, we talk about A.J. McCarron doing this, right? 
he wants to play in the XFL. He could easily be an NFL backup, right? Ben DiNucci, I don't know. I think that DiNucci will do anything he possibly can. And the comment that he makes about this is the most fun I've had playing football in 10 years, it shows you, and I'll, I'll end with this, football is supposed to be fun. The rat race that is the NFL, working your way up through camp onto the practice squad, gritting your teeth to get on the 53-man roster and falling short is not fun. It is an emotional toll and a physical toll on these guys that you will never imagine unless you've gone through it yourself. And I could sit here and talk about it as much as possible, but that comment meant a lot from Ben DiNucci. He had fun playing football again. The most fun he's had in 10 years, he said. That is what the XFL is supposed to be. So for Chris Zook in the control room, I am Matty Fresh. We hope you enjoyed our playoff coverage. I think the playoff format is just right. Obviously, if the league expands, we'll expand the playoff. Right now, four teams was fine. We don't need to argue about that like they do over at our friends at the NFL. You always remember, there is no such thing as football season, and we will see you for the Freshie Awards on Thursday night. Take it easy, guys. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.